Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we are lucky to have Lynn Picknett and Five Prince. They have authored, I don't know how many books, but a lot of books on all kinds of different topics from uh, Hermeticism um, to books about Jesus and UFOs and Loch Ness Monster. So this is definitely going to be a very fun episode. Thank you guys for coming on today. Well, Not at all. Our pleasure. Thank yeah. you for having us. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. So, 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 what got you guys started just in, in writing about these esoteric topics? Well, in my case, life was pretty esoteric anyway, as it were, because I grew up in a haunted house. And so, to me, there was always the, the other, you know, the, the, the extra dimension to life. You know, right. I just completely got that from, um, from my childhood. Um, and as I grew older, um, I, I started reading about the paranormal, sort of getting the theory, as it were, as well as the practice, you know, mm -hmm. as well as the experience. Um, and then eventually um, I met Clive. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and I'd been um, you know, interested in kind of mystery. Basically, I'm, I'm one of those kind of awkward people that if you um, if I know I can pick up a book on a subject and it will tell me everything I want to know. I'm not interested. It's when it's when there's a book that is about a mystery that people don't know the answer to, then I get interested. <laughs> um, and actually the strange thing is, you know, looking back, um, I mean, my main interest was in essentially you know, the paranormal, parapsychology. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do go on ghost hunts and things for a, a society over here. Um, and Lynn's background too is really on parapsychology yeah. and the paranormal mm. or from her experiences. And actually the strange thing is that since we began writing together, we haven't actually written a whole lot about that. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> it's more about it's historical mysteries that mm. we've been in. in. Yeah. Um mm. I mean it, yeah, obviously it, it's all in there somewhere, but it's yeah. um it's mm. it's it's been sort of strange, strange yeah. journey. Um mm. and uh, you know, um but you know, we we, we try to sort of get it in, get some kind of paranormal or psychic stuff in whenever we can. Yeah. That's that's incredible. You know, I've done my uh, my share of ghost hunting as well. And um, I mean, it's not what started me, but it definitely was is an interest. And I think, too, it is all connected. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you can't really, at least for me, I cannot talk about one explained phenomenon without diving into another one, without diving mm, into another mm, one. Because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. all so, I don't know. I, I, I think that somewhere behind it all, there's got to be some kind of common denominator. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, for me, it, it's all these things, you know, like you say, they are connected and they all challenge idea of reality or mm -hmm. maybe tell us what mm. reality really is yeah. 
um, that's the intriguing thing about it. It's not, in a way, almost not the phenomenon themselves. It's yeah. It, it's what they tell us about the way things are. I mean, yeah, I I, I see it. You know, there we are stuck in this rather boring um, and dull um, consensus reality, and very occasionally, um, to sort of quote ordinary people, um, something very weird will happen, and it's like that the sky has been unzipped or something, you right. know, for a brief moment. Yeah. And you see the way it really is. You know, you see a ghost or you see something levitate or an airport or a UFO or you name it. And the world changes for you in that instant because <laughs> you suddenly see that it's not, you know, just cars and houses and carpets and curtains and, you know, everyday life. There is something else. And... And actually, it was funny because when Clive was, we were talking about ghost hunting, and you mentioned it, uh, I was thinking when I was little, I would have been astonished by the term because, you know, you mean you have to hunt for ghosts? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's, you know, here we are in consensus reality, but the real, real reality is very different. So what do you think reality is? Ooh. Oh, so start with start, start with the easy questions. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Because because it, it's so hard. Like, like even like like you describe like this as like this mundane reality. But when I actually sit down and I ask myself like, what exactly is this? Suddenly, it's not ordinary and mundane anymore. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, it, it's a remarkable world out there. You know, mm-hmm. at the best of times, I think I think it's human beings that make it mundane. Well, yes, um, yes. But it's, what, what is? Well, I mean, it's our it's our senses that limit us. Yeah, you know, it, it's our bodies that limit us. It's our senses and our brains filtering our mind and mm-hmm. our spirit. Um, so we are automatically limited by being physical. Um, but in times when we're not that physical, like when we're dreaming or you know we have a near-death experience or whatever that's when we we perceive the extra that is is reality mm-hmm. and, and, and like do you guys like what mo- like do you have a model that you follow like such as like a quantum model or a cabalistic model that you think come close to describing it um, or do you think that everything is like some type of God consciousness trying to understand itself and becoming aware through its creations? Um, I mean, I, I go along with what, what you just said, um, that if, if that's the nearest model that seems to work. I mean, if, um, you know, if you're putting it down to any one particular tradition, I think it's the, the, the thing... Uh, that gets nearest to it to to me so is the the hermetic mm. tradition um yeah we we wrote a book um the forbidden universe which um actually is celebrating its 10th year in print this mm. year um and in that book we looked at well it was in, in two parts we looked in the first part we looked at the um the hermetic tradition and the philosophy and the cosmology behind it and the impact that it had on the origins of science, which a lot of people don't realise. But in the second part of the book, we looked at um, the discoveries of modern science, particularly in the quantum realm, Mm -hmm. um, that actually fit absolutely that um, view of the cosmos and the view of reality that is in the hermetic texts 
I mean, yes. that's what we wrote in the book. We found it just so remarkable that, um, you know, in, in a way, science started out at hermetic. It then kind of got very materialistic and very rational and, and kicked all the esoteric and um, metaphysical stuff out. But now it's coming back in through the discoveries of, of, of physics. Um, and it's actually quite a remarkable thing how well the two um, models of reality uh, go together mm -hmm. um you know absolutely remarkable which then opens the question of if it's in the hermetic text how did the people that put that together in ancient times know about it mm -hmm. yeah. what do you think that is how, how do you think like they knew that the earth was circling the sun rather than the opposite and um you know it, it was like they definitely has some kind of outside information coming in. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it, there was an element in the ancient peoples um, of shamanism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the priests of Heliopolis, for example, we see as basically shamanic. Um, so in which case, looking at how modern uh, shamans work, and I'm talking about, you know, sort of like in the Amazon or Siberian, you know, part of an ancient tradition, um, they work in a, in, on the whole in very similar ways across the globe. They take to their gods or spirits um, a question. You know, it's, it's a very specific question and they will get a very specific answer. They won't get any more information about other things. It's just the answer to that. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's almost like, how do I build a pyramid? You know, but I mean, that's that's. <laughs> a, a very sort of you know silly one but but it's it's i mean normally in you know in the amazon for example the, the amazon uh, shamans will ask specifically for um how to heal a certain uh, illness or what plants to use for you know for some other for pain or, or whatever and you know and and it certainly works um mm -hmm. um and so maybe the for example the heliopolitan priests went to their spirits or their gods and, and ask specific questions about the universe, about how how it works in our relationship with it. It does seem to me that it's it's it speaks of a kind of direct knowledge. Yeah. And that to me is the only way that's well, not the only way, but that's the only way I can conceive of that they would have found this out. Um, how about the like when they're communicating with these spirits and gods? The next question obviously would be like, who are these spirits and gods? Are they multidimensional beings, angels? Like, like, who are these other intelligences? Uh, well, in the, it's another one of those questions we we don't know the answer to, but we, mm -hmm. you know, we just kind of know they're there. Um, I, I think um, we're, we're both of the of the mind that um, you know the. The classic ancient astronaut theory right. that you know we're actually taught things by you know, literally by extraterrestrial beings that come here in spaceships, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in technological craft. Um, we, we we both actually have kind of problems with that as a theory, main, mainly because what we believe is actually something weirder. It's almost <laughs> too yeah. too ordinary um, because um, you know if you look at these kind of in encounters with entities there's always a dimension that is far far weirder than just you know 
extra extraterrestrial being cut, flying here in a technological craft to, right. to teach us things. Um, yeah, there's always a kind of very heavy psychic, metaphysical, magical side to it. Mm. So it, it's these, whatever they are, the things that, you know, back in ancient times were the gods, um, now they're aliens, they've been angels, there have been all these other things in between. Um, but essentially they're all the same the mm. same being mm. and it's something that's kind of very kind of fundamental to um uh, fu fundamental to the to the to the very fabric of the universe um or, yeah or perhaps even for all we know the very fabric of earth just yeah. you know as above so below you know um and um i mean I, I personally have mused from time to time that all the stories about fairies and you know that those sort of beings it's almost like they're the indigenous people of Earth, you know. Yes. Uh -huh. um, um, and um, I mean, every culture has stories that are very similar about these you know, tricksy little beings, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, and yeah, so I mean, they could be a part of of Earth, um, you know, uh, that simply normally invisible to us, um, part of the, the the structure of Earth, even. Um, but of course, there's no way of knowing for certain. All you can do is evaluate the evidence of all the various stories, and therefore it is, you know, as scientists say, oh, it's only anecdotal, you know. And you think, but actually, another word for anecdote is experience. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, um, um, come on. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, the, 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 these beings. I think Clive is right when when you when you look at the the different stories of you know, angels, fairies, spacemen, whatever, they're very similar. It's just that they they, they adopt a, a different persona depending on the mindset of the time. Yeah, I, I could totally understand. It, it, it makes sense that they would take on the form or a persona um, of something that whoever is going to be perceiving them is going to be able to accept them. Yeah, hmm. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so they're yeah. going to adapt to to whatever that person's yeah. level of consciousness is, and whatever that person's belief system is, to not shock mm -hmm. them too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there's a, a a story that I love, and I can't remember any of the details. So sorry about that. But it was some time ago. It was I think 1920s, something like that. And there was this man who was enjoying his, his day at the Edinburgh Botanical Gardens in Scotland. And he was just sitting there enjoying the sun. And all of a sudden, he saw the great god Pan. And they stared at each other. And Pan then said, you're not supposed to be able to see me, and disappeared. I just love that. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> that is great. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so do you... Um, Things that they sort of like, so these we're probably going along the lines of like they're moving in and out of dimensions, and maybe sometimes we enter their dimension and they can see us, mm -hmm. and other times they can enter mm -hmm. our dimension yeah. and we see them. Yeah, I would say so. Hmm. I think it's probably true of of those that have passed away as well, well passed on. I think you know they've got their own dimension, and very occasionally they they could interact with us on ours. But there presumably are very clear rules about it, you know. But um, but uh, yes, I mean, I, I think it's all about dimensions. Um, do you think that uh, like like 
like life after death, when, when somebody goes into another dimension, do you mm -hmm. think they stay there or do you think souls reincarnate? Do you think that souls maybe can incarnate also on different planets? Well, I, I don't see why they couldn't. Mm. You know, if, um, you know, if reincarnation is, um, uh, you know, is, is real, then why should it be confined to this earth? Another sort of, you know, interesting um, way of looking at it that I, I came across a while ago is someone that, you know, it's not just in space, but in time, you know, why do, why do new incarnations have to be consecutive you know, mm -hmm. chronologically yeah. why can't you yeah we all have the classic thing of you know someone having a hypnotic regression and talking about i don't know life in ancient egypt mm -hmm. or ancient rome or something um but why can't you have um why can't you be reincarnated next time around in ancient egypt you know yeah. so yeah um mm. yeah a lot of these things just challenge our, our notions of space and mm. time right. um but, mm. uh, but you know, strong evidence for reincarnation, um, and you know, strong evidence for the classic spiritualist model of um, you know going on to another place where you can still contact people here. You know, I mean, I would say that that, that you know that, that there are some problems with the with the basic spiritualist. Uh, belief i mean sometimes they rather glibly say things like there is no time where they go and then in the same breath they'll say but they make spiritual progress how can you progress without time <laughs> you know i mean that is nonsensical so but i mean one could uh, one could argue or imagine that uh, time operates very differently yes. there, you know but mm -hmm. it, it has to be something that approximates to to progress or to advancement yeah, yeah, I, I do think the time is, I mean, I don't know if time exists or, or, or what's really going on with time, but I do know from my own experience, you know, I had a, a seizure a few years ago and I was out for about 30 minutes and, um, and it was like being dead. It was actually kind of cool, actually it was really peaceful <laughs> and nice and um, it wasn't bad at all, but but it it, it 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 felt like maybe a couple of seconds, and really it was like thirty minutes. Mm, 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 yeah, yeah. So so um, so the time was definitely yeah. different. Mm, yeah. Um. Kind of. mm, mm. So <clears throat> with you, how in your book? Like I was reading the book on um, you know, the the, the hermeticism. Like, how did you do all that research? Like, I mean, you've really researched all these characters, like, um, was it Copernic, Copernic, Copernicus, Copernicus, and and Bruno, and and, and yeah. all these, even even Shakespeare is in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's can I just say it's Clive? Clive does the research. Um, I mean, we do overlap it a little bit, but Clive does the research. And he is brilliant. I'm going to make him blush now. No, he's brilliant, <laughs> brilliant, because he's he thinks in the most lateral way that I've ever come across and can link things together that, you know, he read ages ago and just read today and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's Clive. It, yeah. Clive is brilliant. 
and then you know then lynn puts the words and um, makes sense of it all mm. um conveys it you know people often ask you know what, what is the division between us and you know, lynn tends to be the writer i tend to do the research uh-huh. a, bit, a bit more balanced than that but the important bit of course is actually in the middle where we sit there with all this information and all these facts mm. and say what does it mean yes what's, what's the narrative what's yes. the story yes. what what more do we need you know what gaps mm. have we got that mm. we need to go and do more research yeah. for and that's the bit where we really work together is that that important bit in the middle that where we try to make sense of it yeah i was going to say where we do make sense of no. it, but, it always do. Um, but long long afternoons in a pub basically so we can't do we can't do that anymore right but, but, but it's interesting because the way you guys put it together or string it together in and you talk about like like what's in between uh, you guys put it together in a way that I've never seen it before. Because like I've read, like you know, I've read like three books of occult philosophy of by Agrippa, and I've read John Dee, and I've read all these old Hermetic papyruses and stuff. And uh, the way you piece it together in a linear fashion that makes sense with a historical storyline also is incredible. Oh, thank you for that. Yes, thank you. Then that is—that's the part we really work on jointly, and that's what you know. Mm. um, Mm. Lynn kind of makes the storyline. I just sort of get all these facts and Mm. and shove them on. Present them in the right order, though, so that's useful. (laughs) um, I mean, you're asking how we how we do it, particularly for that book, uh, Forbidden Universe. It was—I mean, we got interested in um, the Hermetic side of things, but we weren't that familiar with right back at the at the beginning of when we first started working together um and be, because of the necessary background to that we, we were writing about leonardo da vinci and finding out that was the big thing that drove the entire renaissance you know, everybody was into that mm-hmm. um so um you know that just got us interested and then over the next um years well i, I mean it's actually it's probably uh, 20 years of just just reading for interest because we wanted to know um i mean that particular book forbidden universe came about because we we we, we knew a lot about that side of things you know we just amassed a lot of information because we wanted to know about it and at that time it was that time the the, the period when um uh, richard dawkins uh, the God delusion was was the big thing, and there was uh-huh. a big, big debate going on, certainly in the UK and I, I, th- I think in the States as well, um, that was very polarised between um, science on the one hand, very materialist, rationalist science, and religion on the other side, basically Christian religion, as if that's your only two choices. It's either one or the other. And, of course, we, like you and like a lot of people, knew there was a lot of stuff in between um that uh, you know you didn't have to make that kind of binary choice between the two so we wanted to write a book that said that and then as we started to look at it and actually realizing um that the esoteric disciplines particularly hermeticism had even a, a bigger impact on the origins of science than even we'd realised. We knew it had an impact. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a sort of simple thing of saying, well, that chemistry came out of alchemy um, when 
alchemists realized their mistake and started doing it right. It was actually the philosophy behind it that drove um, the entire scientific revolution, starting with Copernicus, you know, and coming up with the, you know, the fact that the, the earth goes around the sun, which is actually in the ancient hermetic texts, which he actually quotes from yeah. in his book. <laughs> Um, along with other things, so that, that's kind of the core one. And then it goes all the way through to Isaac Newton, because the, in standard history, as they say, the scientific revolution, it started with Copernicus um, realising the correct way that the solar system worked, um, that we're not the centre of things. And it was completed by Isaac Newton with his book on you know, laws of gravity and all the other things, but which took about 150 years. Um, and they say that 150 years to go from magic to science. I think Isaac Newton was also heavily inspired in specific ways, in specific concepts that he took out of the Hermetic texts. So the, the way that, and I always put it, is that those texts have had the greatest impact on our culture, certainly on Western culture, um, than any other books apart from the Bible. Right. And they've had the biggest impact on the modern scientific culture than any other books, including the Bible. Mm. And yet most people don't even know they exist. I know, it's just outrageous. Yeah, It, it is. In um, the occult, and just the, the, the practice of magic throughout history plays such a huge part in human evolution. Um, mm -hmm. Writing, yeah. for example, you know, was considered magic. Wow. Like our first, yes. uh, the ability to to write something down, have somebody deliver a piece of paper, and have another people person able to understand it, was one of the first forms of magic. But actually, you see, I this is one of my my things. I I think reading actually is magic. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you have to learn what the squiggles on the paper mean. You know, um, what the what the letters mean. Um, but when you look at a word on a page, it summons up an image. Yes, it has this this magical thing that it does. Right. You know, it's not it's not just a squiggle on a page. Right. It's 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 almost like a spell. You know, it, it creates is. something that is instant in your brain and in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that actually reading is a magical act. Right. And you use that word spell, and that's what we do, yeah. spelling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. It, it's all connected. Yeah, yeah, actually, good point, yes, yes. Yeah, because yeah. I, I had read a book on, like, ancient alphabets, and it really kind of drove home that point about, you know, <laughs> languages and magic <laughs> and, and the symbols, <laughs> like runic symbols and Hebrew <laughs> language and <laughs> Aramaic <laughs> and <laughs> how it's just all it, – it all started with – with spells essentially yeah yes, absolutely yeah. and i think the, you know the other um thing is that human beings are just hardwired to believe in magic They're, you know to 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 think in magical ways and it's another one of those things that you know the likes of richard dawkins and the very um you know scientific rationalist people kind of complain and lament about that that why can't we get rid of this side of ourselves and 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 just be you know focused on reality as they see it mm -hmm. um and uh, you know just being use reason entirely and i think human beings just can't function like that because our you know everything about human beings 
um, you know, go back to the, you know, the first art is cave art, which was certainly magical. Um, the things that drove, drove the great um, buildings of civilization, their temples. Mm. Um, so, you know, without that belief, um, you know, mm. we, we, we wouldn't be yeah. who we are and, yeah. and, and we can't lose it overnight, mm. you know, after mm. sort of, you know, millions of years of thinking that way um we we can't just kind of switch that off and all become very very scientific so that's you know one side of things but also the other thing is that the scientific model doesn't tell us everything magic does work yeah. you know um and um you know if science will deny that but it just does you know there's there's a reason why we're hardwired to 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 think and believe in that way mm -hmm. because it was useful for our survival yes if we hadn't yes. have thought magically mm. and in all those ways you know we wouldn't have survived long mm. enough to become this civilization mm. right so, you know we owe a lot to that um yeah. that way of thinking and well, interestingly some of the you know the the latest mm -hmm. and and most open-minded um, parapsychological experiments are underlining uh, that human beings do have what they call pre-spons, which is uh, they we we tend to know what's going to happen, or what we're going to be confronted with, just a split second, like well, not a split second, about what two, three seconds before. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, that's that's in modern human beings. So you know, in in ancient times. They it was probably much, much clearer, much, you know, much highly, much more highly developed, you know, and, and it would be enough time to duck if somebody was throwing a spear at you or, you know, or or if there was, you know, some monster coming at you. Um, you know, it, it's just that it still exists. It's ticking, ticking over in humanity. Do you think that, um, you know, because we have that ability to, to know what's going to happen before it happens, and um, do, do you think that we have free will or do you think that everything is preordained? That's huge. It's actually one of another one of those questions that whichever viewpoint you take, neither side can ever actually prove it. Mm. Um, I mean, my inclination is to think that we have free will in a way, because that's what I want to believe. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm happier thinking about it that way. Um, but no, you know, but I, I can't prove it. I, I can't prove that we do uh, in the same way that someone that will take everything's predestined can't prove to me that that, that, that they're right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's one of those things that when it actually comes down to the reality of the experience, um, we, it seems like we have free will, so therefore we do. Well, one yeah. thing that worries me about it is DNA, because, you know, all those stories, again, anecdotes, but nothing wrong with that, of people who've had, you know, a heart transplant or some other kind of transplant, and, and they, they, they have absorbed the character and the predilections and the likes and dislikes of the donor. And, you know, and just they've, they've got their DNA, essentially, um, and I worry about DNA because I think it's it really does actually provide us with the path that we're going to go down in many respects. <coughs> yeah, 
Yeah. You know, I, 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 I agree with, with, with really both sides of it. I, I, I like, you know, I, I like to think I have free will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. prove it and I can't prove mm-hmm. that I don't have it. Yeah. And, um, and I do know for a fact too, that, that when I go through life and I try to follow my, follow synchronicities and, and, and go with the flow of things, Life just seems a little bit easier than when I try to make things happen with my yes. own will. Yes, yes. So, so that also saying, leads me to yeah. some kind of predetermined fate. Yeah. Hmm. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. You know, it's, it's um, you know, th- things do seem to sort of work out better when you, when you, uh, you know, just. Like you say, go go with the flow. Yeah. Go with synchronicities. Well, um, well, I speak as somebody who's never made a plan in my life, really. Um, <laughs> you know, all these people, these really well-organized people who say, I have a five-year plan or I have a 10-year <laughs> plan. I'm going to do this. And I, and I think the gods are listening, you know. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, they, they will find a way to upset your plans. I mean, some people get away with it, but a lot of people don't. Right, right. You know, I, 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 I think we have... The only choice we have is to either go the easy way or the hard way, but we're always going to end yeah. up in the same yeah. place where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. With the hermeticism, you know, uh, for me, uh, you know, because hermeticism is mainly a, a Western, you know, doctrine type of teaching. Um, I honestly, like, like I, I read about a lot about it as a, when I was younger, and uh, I can't really say I, I, I had a really good understanding of what they were saying, like the philosophically. And it wasn't until I started reading Eastern philosophy and practicing meditation and things like that that I was able to actually go back to Hermeticism and actually get a better understanding of it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that, that there are two halves of a whole? Um, I do. I mean, they're, they're quite in this, feet, this feeling that um, you know a Western mindset is very different to an Eastern mindset. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, uh, I mean, Carl Jung actually cautioned against people getting too much. Uh, people who are brought up in a Western way getting too much into the Eastern mindset, which I which I, which I don't go along with. Right, um, but. But I do think that it, um, it there, there, there is a different mindset behind them, um, but they do complement each other. And um, I, I just think it's, it's a purely historical thing behind it. It's not anything to do with, um, you know, anything that's innate to people that born in, in the West or in the East. Uh-huh. I think it's this big cultural thing that we went through with the, you know, quotes enlightenment the age of reason that led to modern science mm-hmm. um and this thing that we have to kind of think rationally and materialistically mm-hmm. and that process wasn't as um uh easy and quick as historians of science or history general in general would tell us you know another reason behind forbidden universe is to point out this that you know, science came out of essentially um, 
philosophies and ideas that are labeled occult and that it was no actual distinction you know that that there's no there's not as big a clash there as 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 most people would think (laughs) and it actually took a long time throughout the process of the enlightenment for that division between the strictly rational and shall we say the more intuitive Mm. um way of looking at things um for that split to happen but in the end it did happen and then we had that whole age of victorian science where everything was about you know mass and energy and nuts and bolts and uh, yeah Yeah. a clockwork thing and i think that is what has changed the kind of psyche of the west because we had so many generations of being told that's the only way to do it and yes you, you know you could have religion but you keep it in church um and you don't have anything whatever to do with anything psychic or paranormal mm. or you know, or the, the spiritual um so it kind of got um in a way kind of beaten out of us whereas mm. it didn't in the east mm. and now we can go back yeah. um and uh appreciate cause even if you look at the hermetic stuff it is actually quite um scientific in its way um it doesn't have a lot of kind of meditation in there but when you start to delve into it um it it does become much more like sort of zen type philosophy Mm -hmm. but but when you but i know i know this is huge sweeping statement coming up (laughs) but but to my way of thinking in general western philosophy is very cerebral um it's you know it it it's very university um you know chatter based mm-hmm. um it's the men sitting around having you know having a long discussion um it's 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 intellectual on the whole whereas of course the east is more holistic and dare i say it, more spiritual basically right. it's about something else it's about another part of the psyche altogether mm-hmm. Yeah, when I interviewed um, Lon Milo Duquette, I had asked him this question, and he said that hermeticism and like uh, the Eastern philosophy of Taoism and Buddhism and stuff like that were both essentially the same, but created for different mindsets. Mm, yeah, but but they were the same thing because mm. when you really strip down hermeticism and look at it like from a from a Kabbalistic view or even alchemy alchemy in a, in its own way, the spiritual alchemy is sort of a form of meditation, mm. and um, and also I think like in some like the really old uh, magical texts like the Book of Abramelin. Um, where you have to do a 21-day purification ritual before even doing your spell. Mm. It's it's really like doing 21 days of meditation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's what made me think, like, like, you know, it it, it makes sense. It's just that the the Western mind was just more complicated. So it it needs to wear itself out before it can get down to, like, that... that, Mm. That, yeah. that pure consciousness where, where the Eastern mind is as cluttered and those people are actually able to able to sit down and be with themselves. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So I think essentially both, both traditions look very different on the surface, but when you get down to them, they, you know, like the process you've, you've been through, you realize they're actually not so different. Mm. Um, but um, 
you know, the important thing is that the West does have its own mystical tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is not what I was talking about. I no. was talking. I was talking about philosophy with a capital P. Mm. You know, so, so and, you know, like sort of David Hume and all of that. You know, no. so mm. yeah. But mm. so there is yeah. a, a, this mm. whole kind of behind the esoteric thing does have its own kind of spiritual root and paths that mm. Um, mm. Uh, you know people for a long time completely forgot. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of this uh, of what happened in the twentieth century or the late nineteenth century was prompted really by the experience of um, ideas coming in from the East, you know, like Zen and, and with, with Buddhism and things like that. Um, but I think it prompted people to go back and, and people in Europe and America to go back and look at their own mm. their own traditions yeah. and actually find mm. there was something in them after mm. all. Mm. It wasn't just all mumbo-jumbo mm. that we've been told for a couple of hundred years. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I agree. That's exactly what happened to me. Because, mm. you know, it, was, it, it did seem like mumbo jumbo, but then I came mm. back and I revisited and I said, ah, oh, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing, and I mean, another thing, it even fair is, you know, because I keep you know, saying the West and Europe as if it's all the, the same thing. Yeah. But it even varies within that because one thing that we, learned when we first started doing this kind of this line of research um and a lot of it kind of drew us into things that were happening you know mysteries and so on in, in, particularly based in france and you go into the sort of the, the the french experience and it's actually quite different certainly to the british one and i think to the american one because they're actually um french culture is a lot more accepting of esoteric things. Um, Spanish culture is, Italian culture is. Um, but when you get to places like you know Britain and Germany, mm. it's kind of a, a Northern European yeah. thing that yeah. there's a, a greater reluctance. Resistance, really, yeah. 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 Um, but mm. it's something we found when we started doing yeah. research in France that actually they were a lot more open to this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it even varies within, within the West and within Europe. Mm. Um, in the book, do you think like the Eastern and Western philosophies both originated from Egypt? It just took on different forms. I don't know. Originated. Um, we, it, it's odd that as we've done our research, we keep ending up back in Egypt. Mm. You know, like the the, the Hermetic um, uh, philosophy, which has. In, well, it emerged from Egypt in the early centuries AD, and for a long time people said, oh, yes, it was in Egypt, but actually it's mostly Greeks were behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and that whole idea has changed. You know, yes, it has a bit of Greek philosophy in right. there, but actually it, you know, we think the evidence is very strong that the Hermetic tradition draws a much more ancient Egyptian mm. uh, religious mm. uh, and spiritual ideas. Um and we, we keep ending up back at Egypt. So it does mm. appear to be um, the focus mm. point. I don't know how much of that is also transferred to the East. I really don't. Or maybe it came from the East into Egypt. You know, but certainly whenever mm. we look at Western stuff, we always end up there. Mm. Um, mm. Even when you don't expect to, even when you think you're going to end up talking mm. about Greek philosophy or something, mm. you find out that actually behind yeah. that mm -hmm. um is that it's something that mm. they learned from mm. egypt mm. um but 
our universities are very kind of well if it if it if it's not greek philosophy then it, mm. it's not part of the classics and it doesn't matter yeah yeah but uh, so there's a resistance there as well but it, egypt yes it does be it does seem to be the focus yeah it's like the hub the magical hub of the ancient world really well at least you know the known world we you know there's probably lots of other things to discover about you know south america for example or, you know the, yeah. but 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 the 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 hub of the known ancient world mm-hmm. and, it, and, and it's not even just egypt because obviously that's a very ancient civilization so you'd expect it to be behind a lot of other things and um but it's not just ancient egypt we always end up with the, the, the specific part of the ancient Egyptian religion, which is the one practiced at Heliopolis, the one that is in the pyramid text, which is the one that was behind um, the, the religion of the pyramid builders. Um, so it's not even just well, Egypt as a land. We, every time we start out looking at something, we always end up talking about that particular religion, you know, and it's the classic one with the nine gods of um, Isis and Osiris, the ones people are familiar with, you know, the, that great Ennead. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, every time we start something, we always end up talking about that, but mm. we always end up with the pyramid texts, mm. basically. Yeah. Um, um, with Egypt, do you think, like, like you know, if it, do you think it started with Egypt, or do you think there was a an advanced civilization prior to Egypt, like Atlantis, that did get wiped out and then had migrated to Egypt, as some people theorize? Uh, well, it, it has to be theoretical. It has to remain speculative. Yeah, yeah we don't have proof I mean, of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's evidence that there was a massive natural cataclysm um, around where's now Santorini, you know, Um, and it is very likely that survivors from that would end up in Egypt or at least go somewhere around there, you know, um, maybe settle there. But whether it was an advanced civilization, I mean, it, you know, in in the sense that modern people mean it, you know, to have sort of technology that was way beyond, the, you know, what other nations had at the time. Um, I really don't think so. I mean, I I I think that was. I mean, they might have been brilliant at you know construction. They might have been you know brilliant at what we would call science. But not that brilliant, <laughs> you know. Not not entering a different league, even compared to today. No. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that that there are big problems with tracing, uh, you know, the origins of the uh, Egyptian society, Egyptian culture, because it sort of tail tails off when you go the further back you go, and it you know it seems it seems like the pyramid building came almost out of nowhere, you know. So there had to be some inspiration mostly lost now but i personally don't think it was the atlantis that many people uh love to think about and love to almost create in their imaginations yes, the, the interesting thing with atlantis obviously goes back to plato's account but if you read plato's account he doesn't quite say what most people seem to think it says that you know there was this civilization called atlantis which was the one with more advanced than anybody else because the actual point of the, the the story that plato tells um is actually to say that the whole world was more advanced mm-hmm. at, back at that time 
um, and um, and and yes, there was this this war between uh, you know the Athenians and the Atlanteans, um, which the Athenians won. Um, so it talks about this war, and then it talks about the classic cataclysm that destroyed Atlantis. But it's not saying that Atlantis was any smarter or any more advanced than mm. anyone else mm. at that time. Mm. It's to say everyone was more advanced, mm. and that because of the disaster of Atlantis, and then it says and a series of other ones that have happened since, um, that the Greek civilization and others had forgotten how advanced they mm. used to be. And it was the only place that the memory of those days was, uh, was kept was in Egypt, which mm. is the story that is told. So it, it's sort of saying, um, yes, there was, um, you know, a more advanced civilization, but it doesn't actually pin it into one particular place. It says it was just, it was everywhere was like that. And he also describes uh, the, the geographical area very vaguely indeed. I mean, he says it was beyond pillars, pillars of Hercules, yeah. but I mean that people have taken that very literally. But it mm -hmm. does sound to me just like it's a long, way, unimaginable distance away, or it was a long way away, and it's almost like you know, so, sort of a vague term like in in the olden days, or you know. <laughs> In in the distance, you know, remotely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, so yeah, it, you know, it's it. What you have to, Clive's right. You have to look at exactly what he said. Hmm. But yes, it does seem to be pulling. I mean, it's essentially saying the same thing, just in a slightly different way. Because the uh -huh. whole point of it is, yes, Egypt was the heir to, the, or the only surviving part of an advanced civilization. It's only kind of like quibbling where whether it was whether. It was the survivor specifically of Atlantis mm -hmm. or something that was much wider, mm. which is what mm. that says. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, as Lynn said, it, it seems to come out of nowhere. But I mean, the, the, the thing we have to be careful, you know, a, a lot of people think, oh, Egypt, it was just spectacular. It had everything, you know, well, apart from the wheel and apart from, you know, one or two other things, but, um, you know, for a while. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was really, but actually, you know, when you look at what the great, pharaohs died of for example you know some of them died of abscesses on their teeth you know i mean they they really weren't that advanced in many respects they were advanced builders they were incredibly advanced engineers but you know they're they didn't, for example, for whatever reason, and it's not known, I don't think exactly why, but, you know, they didn't do any form of dentistry whatsoever. So people died in horrible agony because of what was going on in their mouths, you know. So, I mean, they weren't perfect and they weren't advanced in every possible aspect of life. So they needed some uh, better advancement in medicine. Yeah, well, they could have, you know, and I'm surprised that, you know, that they... That the shamanic priests didn't ask the gods, you know, how do we deal with this pain in in the pharaoh's mouth? But actually, um, one suspects that they just gave them more cocaine and stuff because they were, you know, there was a lot of that sort of stuff going on. Um, so um, I don't, maybe they didn't bother to ask the gods; they just handed them some more class A drugs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. So. I'm going to say, this is a good place, I think, to segue into one of your other books, which is the your Templar book. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because there's a lot of connections. Like, well, I think one of the main connections, I guess, between the Templars and, and Egyptians would be the Library of Alexander. Mm. Yes. Um, 
Do, do you think that the Templars had possession of, of that? I don't know that in particular. Um, I mean, they, they went looking for knowledge for wherever they could find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, fragments of that knowledge, because you know, a big gap between the Library of Alexandria, true, true to the Templars, but those, um, you know, various books and traditions did did survive and were around um so you had that period which is the period of the crusades which i think is is really you know although the crusades were done for um you know one particular essentially religious reason although it's obviously political so that people go and grab land you know people in europe go and grab land in the in in the holy land as well um but it was still a time when um you know europe started to go out and uh i was gonna say mix with other cultures it's not it was normally to sort of fight other cultures <laughs> but nevertheless they learned stuff from them. so it, it seems that there was this this period around the time of the crusades where various groups including the templars when may have gone out originally with some completely other motive but then they started saying oh there's all these interesting people Mm. that that have this knowledge that have Mm. these books that have this Mm. information let's let's take them look at them and see what we can make of it so and the templars do seem you know very much to be into that just so it's kind of saying let's see what's out there yeah Yeah, they did have they did absorb a lot of um arabic um information and, and knowledge which was you know very advanced um at that time and um they, the the templars do seem to have taken a lot of that information away with them um when when of course they were supposed to be absolute you know enemies to the death um with the saracens as they were known um but uh but the templars i think were they were very practical people in you know it's what or pragmatic people anyway you know whatever worked they would take it you know um if it was magic they would use it if it was you know elite fighting techniques they would use it um so yes i mean they they, they were looking for knowledge that they, they were thirsty for knowledge where as clive said wherever they went that was that was their driving force hmm. there's, there's always been the, the the question over the templars um whether when they were they were formed with a specific agenda because they knew there was something out there that they could go and get, or whether they were just formed, you know, to, to protect pilgrims and to 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 fight the Christian corner as the official history, and then somewhere along the way they learned something, um, and I don't know it's, it's if that's a question that we've ever really been able to answer because it's sort of evidence one way or the both ways. Um, but, but certainly there, there came a point where, um, yes, they had acquired information you know, mainly from the, 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 the Muslim world, the Arabic world, where a lot of that learning from um, previous times, um, from the, you know, the, 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 the pagan learning that had been suppressed in Christian Europe, um, some of which would have come from the Library of Alexandria. So that kind of mm-hmm. would have survived in not in Europe, but in the Middle East, and then um, started to come back during the Crusades, but also the time when, um, uh, you know, when Spain was part of the Islamic Empire, which is, you know, predates that. And 
this learning was kind of filtering across the border back into Europe at that point. And some of that did, that was a very advanced stuff that went back to Alexandria and, and other places. You know. um, but yes, the, the Templars were gathering whatever they could for whatever reason. Yeah. Knowledge is power, mm -hmm. basically. Do you think they had the uh, Ark of the Covenant? Well, they didn't use it. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it was a, it, according to the Old Testament, it was a weapon of mass destruction, basically. Mm -hmm. And of course, as as the elite fighting force of Europe, they would love it. But if they had it, they never used it or didn't know how to work it. Um, I mean, I know it's a theory that is beloved of a lot of people that they had it, but I, really there's no evidence that they had it. I think they would have looked for they it. They would have loved it. Yeah, yeah. They have, and they would have looked. Um, but whether they found it or not, that's, you know, that's a different question. Um, but, in, I mean, I mean, pretty much every lost artifact or, or great magical artifact has at some time mm. somebody has said the temp that the templars mm. had that mm. um but that's because you know whichever way you look at it the templars there was something very very mysterious and secretive about the templars we often encounter this when we're sort of talking to more sort of conventional historians when they kind of say oh there, there were they were just this kind of military order that yeah, partly an order of monks, partly a fighting order, and there was nothing secret about them at all. And we always counter this by saying, if that was true, they couldn't do their job because they were engaged in strategy of warfare, which means you have to be secret. They were involved in a lot of diplomacy behind the scenes um, because they didn't just fight. They tried to kind of build alliances and and, and set one part of the, 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 the Arab world against the other to take the heat off the, the Christian side. So they're involved in secret diplomacy. They're involved in espionage, trying to find the other side's plans. Um, they created this sort of banking system which requires... Um, you know, m moving money from uh, across Europe and, and from one continent to another, and as we all know, that that requires a lot of kind of secret codes and things. Mm -hmm. You cannot say there was nothing secret about the Templars, otherwise mm -hmm. they wouldn't have functioned. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, their es espionage network had to be second to none, basically. Yeah. You know, mm. so um, just just looking at it in the most mundane way possible. Yes, they were se they were a secretive order. Yeah. Now question then is did they start to get up to anything even more secret well i think on the knowledge is power basis it's you do mm. Mm. once you've started to 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 learn things that give you an edge in any way whether that's in the fight or in your own politics mm -hmm. um then um you keep it to yourself mm. and you you keep it to a small mm. number of people um, so um so yeah they pop in all kinds of things and they had hierarchy now, yeah. and they were, you know, and they were living in this you know, sort of en enclosed orders, really, you know. Um, and so the two things, when you have hierarchy, that actually does presuppose initiation, you know, to move from one rank or grade to, to the next. You, you know, you have to learn something new and you have to show that you're, um, uh, you know, that, that it, it, you're worthy of it. Um, and indeed, you know, there were all the heavy, heavy rumours and, and indeed accounts of there being sort of um, ceremonies and, and rituals um, where, you know, extraordinary things happened. 
for the newcomer, the, 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 new, the new member of the order, for example, you know, the, the stories were that they had to do things like, you know, um, trampling on the cross or spitting on the cross. Um, and of course this was held against them, but, you know, eventually. Um, and a lot of, um, uh, a lot of orthodox historians, shall we say, conventional historians say, oh, no, 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 you know, that was just trumped up. You know, it was basically just, you know, the French king who, you know, who eventually suppressed the order and was just after their money and, you know, and hated their power. And well, I mean, obviously there was an element of that, but our research um, shows that actually there was a lot to those rumours about the extraordinary ceremonies, spitting and trampling on the cross and generally uh, behaving in a sacrilegious or blasphemous fashion towards the symbols of Christianity. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that one. Um, yeah. Do, do you think that they uh, were protecting any type of bloodline of Jesus? No. No? <laughs> no, that's not. Um, um, so you don't think the the, the Sinclairs or our relatives or, or or children of uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, Magdalene? We don't. It, we no. just found because I mean obviously that's another thing that when we were first getting into this research, that was one of the big theories that were around. So obviously mm -hmm. we looked into it and we just essentially couldn't make it stand up. Um, it's not to say that families like the Sinclairs and and other families um weren't significant and weren't important because things you know historically went in families you know you kept secrets within families yeah. it's not so much to do with the bloodline a, a line of genetic inheritance it's a, to do with keeping your family at, 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 the, at the top you know it happens to this day you know we still have dynasties um but um to actually take it to actually give it any more significance than that and to start linking all those families together um it to us it just doesn't work i mean the, the whole idea of keeping a keeping a single bloodline um recognizable and kind of pure for two thousand years you essentially can't do it you know um and and you've got this question well what what does protecting the bloodline mean is there something special genetically about um that family well if that's so it doesn't stay in the family the way you know the laws of genetics don't work like that the laws of heredity don't mm -hmm. work like that mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you start marrying into other families the mm -hmm. you know the, the, the line is gone mm -hmm. so um if it's not that then you're talking about something that is inherited like a, a title or lands mm -hmm. but of course that doesn't stay again stay with the bloodline you've only got to have one mm -hmm. Um, illegitimate child that's not detected yeah. along the way, yeah. and that whole thing's gone. So, no, it just it didn't really work. But also, there is there is a, a deeper, more disturbing element to this sort of blanket belief you you tend to get around these days about you know the sacred bloodline and all this, and that is that is the idea that you uphold or admire or even worship. Um, people because of their genetic makeup, because of their physical makeup. Oh, and, do that uh, you know, it's, anyway. it's yeah, but the, yes, but but in in this sense of you know being um, handed down through the, the generations, mm -hmm. and that's very worrying. You know, it's it's because the opposite of that 
is that some people are bad because of their genetic makeup or their race, for for example. You know, it, it's it's an extrapolation, and it's it's a worrying attitude that that there's something inherently good or inherently bad about people because of their genes, essentially. Right. Um, and you know that that is disturbing. Um, although, of course, most people don't think in those terms, but it is it underlies it mm -hmm. and it is disturbing. And of course, um, you know, it does rather imply. And of course, lots of people say, well, of course it does that, um, you know, that 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 Jesus and Mary Magdalene were in some way extraordinary special, that this should be, you know, important. Um, but if we're talking about the Templars, um, the inner circle, not the average member, but the inner circle of the Templars, you know, our researchers indicated very strongly that it wasn't Jesus that they were into at all. It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was their Christ. Um, and in, in the Templar revelation, um, we, we started with Leonardo da Vinci, uh, looking at his, analyzing his paintings, and we saw that he was heavily into John the Baptist, but not Jesus. Um, and I mean, over Jesus, you know, John the Baptist was spiritually uh, in every other way yeah. superior to Jesus. Then we, we, we found exactly the same uh, belief uh, in, the, in the Knights Templar. Um, and then we found that, it, that, uh, a, that basically, uh, you know, there's historical uh, evidence for what they call Johannites, followers of John the Baptist. Um, and they exist to this day. I mean, you know, they, they, I mean, they're depleted. They're, they're in Iraq and Iran, and because of all the tr trouble there, they, they've fled or been murdered. But um, they're called the Mandians. Um, and to them, John the Baptist was their, their greatest prophet. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, they really, really do not like Jesus. They call him, you know, um, a, uh, a false prophet. And it, it's, you know, this is an entirely new way of looking at what we've been taught. And we, you know, that's what our book, The Templar Revelation. In fact, that is the Templar Revelation, the whole John the Baptist connection. And it just completely opens your eyes to at least, you know, another way of looking at things. Right. Um, when the Don, John the Baptist, one of the things that I've recently come to understand is that um, the skull and bones of uh, the pirate flag was a John the Baptist symbol. So is there a connection between the Templars and pirates? Uh, it, it's speculated that there is one um, because, uh, you know, the whole thing when the Templar order was suppressed, all these big questions about what happened to them. Um, they did have a fleet uh, which disappeared. Um, so there is a theory that um, you know some Templars became pirates. It's sort of it's one of again one of those unprovable theories, but it kind of works. Um, and the, the skull, uh, the, the, the skull and the crossbone was uh, a, a, a Templar symbol. So that it, it works i don't i don't i'm not saying i necessarily believe that or disbelieve that but mm -hmm. it, but it's a theory so there could be something there um and, and um but you know but again it it's a skull or a severed head which is mm. you know the big johannite symbol the symbol of john the baptist who classically died by beheading right um you know 
the Templars were accused of worshipping this idol, Baphomet, which was a severed, uh, or, or the head of a man, so obviously a severed head, um, in which some Templars at the trials did actually say was the head or uh, you know, a, a representation, more likely, the uh, head of John the Baptist. Um, that's another thing, you know, the thing that Lynn was saying, we just kept finding this, this theme that kept coming up um, wherever we were looking, when we you know, started off with Leonardo da Vinci of all things, of all people, and then get pulled into things like the Templars and other groups, um, and just kept finding this these symbols to do with John the Baptist. But the, the the thing we found odd is that every other researcher has kind of looked, picks up these things and say, "Oh, it's John the Baptist symbolism," and, so, mm. and then sort of brushes it aside mm. and says, "Well, that's not important." Mm. Um, and that's why we really got to thinking, well, why is this, there's this whole underground tradition that actually is focused much more on John the Baptist than on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Mm. Why doesn't anyone really pay mm. attention mm. to this? Mm. And I mean, it's in a way mm. sort of conditioning because mm. everyone thinks, you know, we've always been taught from, from school, um, you know, from Sunday school or whatever, that the only, you know, the only reason that John the Baptist came along was to um, herald the coming of Jesus Christ, and therefore, after that, he becomes unimportant. Um, and it's kind of a conditioning that people go with. So whenever they come up with this symbol, they think, well, okay, it's talking about John the Baptist, but it must be a Christian symbol, therefore it must be about mm. Jesus. Mm. Let's look at that. Mm. But when we really got down and started digging into the history, we've uncovered mm. this this whole secret mm. history mm. of, as then said, this um, this line that goes back to the origins of Christianity, this rival mm. um, religion um, that upheld John over Jesus, and as Lynn said, survives to this day in the Middle East. But we also believe at the time of the Crusades, it came into Europe via the Templars and sort of established itself in um, European um, heretical traditions. Um, and so that, that's, I mean, that's really something we've been working on right right from the beginning yeah and we keep returning to <laughs> keep coming back yeah to yeah because it's such a huge thing and it's it, implications as well as the details hmm. and and that research we're doing is still going on and we're still kind of pulling up more and more mm. uh, the mm. whole time mm. um, so. it, and the templars they were also Involved in more of a feminine type of worship too. They worship a lot of, of, of like Mary and stuff like that. That's a, 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 another really surprising thing that you find. You think, well, Templars, they're soldiers and monks. Um, they're men, basically. So, yeah, they may have a thing about the Virgin Mary because people then were supposed to. Um, but that's you know that's it. But when you actually start looking into it, there's a lot more. Um, to do with the sacred feminine mm-hmm. um, in their um, iconography, in their um, their particular services, mm. even down to the fact that this mysterious idol that they worshipped, um, which called Baphomet, that using a particular cipher that the Templars picked up in the Middle East, in which you take the words, um, it actually works by putting the words in, into Hebrew, that Baphomet, using this particular coding system, turns into the word Sophia, 
which is um, the word for feminine wisdom. Mm. Um, and again, that's been around for a while, the, the, the fact that that decoding mm. works. And people say, oh, Sophia, it means wisdom. Therefore, it tells us that the Templars were looking for wisdom. Think, oh, no, it's mm. female wisdom. Yes, yes. You, you know. and, and also, they were very big on you know, the, the worship of black Madonnas, you know, the Madonnas that with, with black faces, essentially, mm. mainly in the south of France, but elsewhere. Um, and black Madonnas are associated with the cult of Mary Magdalene, but also going further back with Isis, with the Egyptian goddess. Um, so again, that has a very layer upon layer of meaning, but it, it, whichever one you look at, it's about the sacred feminine. Do you think that they uh, came here to the United States and buried a treasure on Oak Island? Or, that, or they came here and somehow financed the colonization of the United States? Again, no, I know the theories, but it, it's, uh, um, I, I'm personally a, bit, a, a little skeptical about them. I don't think it's impossible, but, um, you know, things, the Oak Island thing, um, you know, Oak Island, you know, gen, genuine mystery there. I really want to know what's down the bottom of that. Of, of that pit but until you get to the bottom it's all really kind of speculation right mm. and i don't know particularly you know say the, the 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 setting up of the united states um they we sure the templars did survive underground and did at least influence certain forms of freemasonry um we're quite mm. sure of that um we don't think necessarily they were that powerful that they kind of could control huge things they were just trying to keep themselves going alive underground and keep this knowledge or whatever secret was to themselves so i don't think it's impossible that when you come to the history of the united states and the colonization how that was all set up um that they couldn't have been somewhere in that mix but i don't but there was a, a lot of other sort of vested interest economic and all political and all the other things going on into the, the whole history of how the United States came into being, yeah. how it was discovered and colonized and then became independent. There's a lot more going on in that story than just one group, but they could, but they yes. could be in there. Yeah, they, they, they could have mm. and they would have, mm. but did they? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and even if it did, is that the, 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 the major influence over that piece of history, probably not. The history was happening anyway, but mm -hmm. and they're, they're in there somewhere. Yes. Now, I mean, the Masonic influence over the establishment of the United States is very well known, and there is a, you know, and, and provable, you know, mm. George Washington was a Mason and all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, there is, and, and there is a link between certain forms of Freemasonry and the Templars. Whether that makes, say, George Washington knowingly a templar is another question mm, because right. these whenever whenever people start forming groups and societies and traditions they all get complicated very very quickly mm -hmm. and they start having schisms and then then they then they you know they split apart and join back together in a different way and then someone mm. goes off and forms a breakaway movement yeah. um and often trying to sort of piece the stories of these societies together mm. is an absolute nightmare yeah and it's sometimes very easy to say oh you know 
this person was a was a Freemason, that person was a Freemason, therefore they're working to the same agenda. But when we actually go into it, they're they're both, you know, from different types of Freemasonry that hate each other and don't get on <laughs> and are actually fighting against each other. So, um, so it's it's a lot. I think history is a lot more complicated than that. You know. Well, I think that that's that will be on our gravestones, won't it? <laughs> history is a lot more complicated than you think. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, could be in the mix, and yeah. and there's there's some big mystery at Oak Island, but it's just mm. until we get down the bottom of that bit, mm. we're just guessing. Mm. Right. Um, and. Um, how, how far down are they now? Mm. What what season are we on in the uh... season <laughs> ten? I think. Like the one, I know, like one of the notorious figures that seems to be behind a lot of these uh, stories is Sir Francis Bacon. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, ha- have you guys covered him at all? We we have in. Um, uh, actually, in the Forbidden Universe, we did talk about them, and I have to say, we we, we actually um, um, uh, we're, we're actually rather unfair to him. I have to mm-hmm. say, because obviously, um, <laughs> you know, he's um, uh, you know supposedly the, you know, the the great founder of science um, in the modern sense. You know, the great kind of person that that made science into the rational. Um, uh, discipline that, that we know, um, but when we talked about him in Forbidden Universe, where we're trying to get this idea across that actually, it's you know, the the origins of science were essentially um, occult, you know, esoteric, um, and we kind of blamed him for um, for for shifting things away from that. Um, while also, if you actually read his works, he is actually quite into sort of magic and esoteric things. We sort of we, we blamed him for pretending not to be because mm-hmm. it was a bad career move. Mm-hmm. He was writing for a king, mm-hmm. um, you know, King James, who was very much against the occult and things. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to get on in his mm-hmm. court, you didn't mm-hmm. go into that. Mm-hmm. We, since finishing that book, so, you know, since that book was published, we actually kind of looked into it a lot more and found out that that image of Bacon is actually one that was created by later historians. And actually, he was he was very much into sort of magic um, and mysticism and things and didn't actually hide the fact. Um, but, um, uh, you know, he was kind of reinvented by later historians of science to be what they think he should have been yeah. and it's one of those things we, we actually felt for that because mm. we read the current books and thought well that that that's what he is mm. um so we we kind of put yeah. that bit in forbidden universe and then we realized actually he fits what we were saying much mm. more perfectly yeah. than we realized well yeah. i think we should cut ourselves a bit of slack because yeah. you know that was a long time ago <laughs> and you know it's, it's very difficult to piece things together when you consider that, you know, Princess Diana died in 1997 and all the theories and rumours about her, and it that wasn't that long ago, you know, that, so, um, so yeah, I, you know, it is difficult to know what's what sort of going further back in history, but Clive will get there. If anybody yeah. can, Clive can. Yeah. <laughs> just, the reason I mention it, it's because it's we, we don't make a big deal of it in the book, it's, you know, it's not, but we, we kind of went with, 
um, what the standard history books say and that the lesson that we've, we're always learning is you have to dig behind that hmm. because, um, uh, you know, people write history to be what they want it to have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's the kind of the mm. sort of uh, watchword for, yeah. for our career. Yeah. Is look behind that question here. Mm. Um, look at the, not what people say in the history books, but the evidence they base it on, and you'll find a completely different story. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes we don't look behind that hard enough. Mm. Um, um, because we, you know, we could have found something that actually helped us a lot, uh, or actually helped helped our argument mm. even more. Mm. Um, but you know, so it's just it's an object lesson in that. But it's always looking behind yeah. the established history because there's there's always an agenda, even if it's an unconscious one, when people write about the past. Yeah, um, we we often uh, at the end of talks say to the audience take nobody's word for anything including <laughs> ours you know do you do your own research yeah, you know, and, make and up your own it's always changing too we, yeah, we, we learn yeah. new things that change yeah. like yeah. everything i everything i learned in history back in when i was in high school mm. is, is all bunk now <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So. yeah 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 but um yeah because i i you know think back to the the history that i learned at school and um you know, the, particularly the, the, the last one, the equivalent of high school, um, that we actually covered the, the, the period of history um, that we were talking about with the Templar Revelation. And we learned about kings and queens and battles and things like this and popes. And in that whole time, I never heard the word Templar, <laughs> even though you can't write the history of that that period without mentioning them somehow mm. at school they they managed yeah. it yeah. um the other name they didn't mention was cathal which is the other mm. big thing of yeah. that period mm-hmm. so it's one of those things that years later when you start to read the kind of um uh kind of alternative history books and you come across things like the templars it actually seems like um it was kept yeah. you know it's been suppressed yeah but it's not as you could well History is about kings and queens right. of battles. Yeah. Not interested yeah. in idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even like when I was in school, like I think like the first Europeans they mentioned coming to America was like Christopher Columbus, and yeah. and, and now we know it was actually the Vikings. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And quite likely many other people before that. Yeah, and, it's, and yet yeah. it's still. Even though I think pretty much everyone knows that we still talk about Christopher Columbus. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. And, and like Native Americans are actually came over to land bridge and were actually Mongolian. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, so, yeah, so there was like all this stuff that they had no idea of when I was a kid. Well, it, it's even the idea of you know traveling that distance is is kind of almost sort of racist. The idea that only you know, the the Renaissance uh, era um, Westerners could do that, you know, mm-hmm. could actually master the waves and you know, get over there. <laughs> when in fact, you know, the ancient peoples were constantly on the move. I mean, they traveled vast distances. Yeah. It's, in, it's incredible. So this kind yeah. of segues yeah. also into one of your other books. And I'm, get, I'm guessing there's some connection here. Is The Secret mm-hmm. History of Lucifer. Ah, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Um, well, y- yes, um, actually, it became a kind of um, 
rant about <laughs> about uh, how uh, over the centuries uh, women have been uh, literally demonized i mean you know called especially in medieval times but um but afterwards as well but you know that portals to the for the devil and mm-hmm. you know women didn't didn't even have souls or you know that, um and um uh but I mean, yes, I was looking at the way that people have confused the archetype of Lucifer with the idea of Satan, and it actually doesn't work. Lucifer is the challenger, the enlightener, the being of light, uh, whereas Satanist is just the baddie. You know, Satan is an embodiment of evil, which Lucifer absolutely isn't. If we're looking at archetypes, you know, mm-hmm. Lucifer is a very, very useful archetype. Whereas Satan is, you know, not that useful because we don't want to go there. But um, but Lucifer is, yeah. I mean, he 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 kind of represents, or rather, the, the his archetype kind of represents um, all the people we're talking about in the scientific revolution because they were daring to step outside of all the limitations that have been imposed upon them, mainly by the Catholic Church over the centuries. You know. Um, and what set them off doing that was, um, you know, hermetic thinking, you know, that we're all uh, potentially gods um, and that there should be no limitations on our thinking, um, no limitations on on our endeavours. Um, so so the whole idea of, of if you like, Luciferianism mm-hmm. is tied up with enlightenment and the age of enlightenment. Yeah, I mean, to me, that makes sense, considering mm. it means morning star. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, the light. Um, I mean, you know, like in, in, in the south of France, uh, Mary Magdalene's cult, they called her Mary Lucifera, meaning Mary the light bringer or the enlightener. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the, the unenlightened um, uh, Pope's men um, didn't like that very much because they they thought it was saying oh she was you know she was satanic and they were satanic and you know all of that but in fact it was quite the opposite they saw her as being the one who brought enlightenment um, so yes she was Mary Lucifera awesome. uh, which was a great compliment a huge compliment so this like one of the things that and I don't know, I'm almost ashamed to, to, to admit that this is a real thing in my country. <laughs> but <laughs> but there, 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 there's people here that believe that are Luciferians that are cannibals to eat children. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, we yeah. know about that. We know about uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's unbelie- literally unbelievable. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh. And that's, well, that, that kind of line of thought has actually been around for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's kind yeah. of worrying. It's still, it's still around. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. But and it, there it, are people it, in the UK that believe just as crazy stuff. Well, no. yeah, but I mean, throughout history, it's, it's interesting in a really horrible way, but throughout history, the people, the, or the sections of, of society that you are against, you, te- you know, have been on the whole, have been accused of cannibalism, stealing and eating babies. I mean, you know, it's it's just happened over and over again throughout history. Um, so it a little do they realise, these people in the States, that they're buying into a, a very unfortunate, obviously, but a very old trope. 
And uh, ironically, right at the beginning, it's what Christians were accused of in the early days by, yeah. by the Romans. Yeah. Right. They were accused of, of, yeah. of killing and eating. So, yeah. so that, yeah. see, see, that's something I didn't know. I, I, this was just something that just came into my, my uh, view like a couple of months ago. I was like, wow, this is really yeah. the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And now to yeah. hear that it goes all the way back to, to you know, Romans yeah. blaming Christians of the same thing. Yeah. yeah, and in medieval times, uh, the Westerners accused Jews of doing that, um, you know, and and it just you know just went on and on and on. Whoever you didn't like, that's what you accused yeah. them of. You think of the worst thing you can think of, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's yeah. the reason why you're not yeah. 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 I was just going to say, people, people, you know, sadly, in that respect, people don't haven't changed at all. Um, and when you know their hysteria is is whipped up, you know, with all conspiracy theories, and you know, um, you can apparently you can get them to believe anything. You know, I mean, absolutely anything. It's astonishing, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. And, and and you know. I I just can't couldn't believe that 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 people would take it seriously, you know, like mm, mm. you know. Mm. Well, it reminds me. I mean, it's one of the cases that I I I, um, I use in in my book, uh, Secret History of Lucifer, talking about the you know the witchcraft hysteria mm-hmm. in in Europe, where uh, you know people basically started um, accusing their neighbours that they didn't get on with of of being witches or being in league with the devil or whatever. Um, and it, and it, it, what is now Germany in the Germanic states, it was particularly bad. It was complete hysteria, sort of mass hysteria, um, you know, to such an extent that some whole villages just, just disappeared. I mean, they just were, were, you know, people have been burnt at the stake all the time uh, for, for utter nonsensical reasons. And there was one particular woman who, you know, was an intelligent, uh, she wasn't a peasant, she was one up, mm-hmm. she was a kind of what we would call middle class, I suppose. But they were running out of peasants to burn, basically. So they they accused her, and she laughed. I mean, you know, she was accused, and she was accused of having sex with the devil. And she just laughed her head off. She said, you know, that's just really, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. She didn't laugh for long, you know. Very yeah. soon she was confessing to, you name it, Eating babies, you know, you, you name it, um, and you know, and then of course she was burnt at the stake as a witch, um, you know, and it, it's the same mindset, unfortunately. You know, people just pick up and run with the, the stupidest thing when there is this extraordinary fever to believe in the air, you know, and a hatred for certain types of people, and you know, it was just, it was just crazy. It was, I mean, it's certainly nowhere near the the number of of people uh, were were burned at the stake that many people you know quote but it was a it was still a huge proportion of the population in Germany I mean that was where it really hit and there was one disgusting detail is that in some villages the walls of the houses nearest to the burning pyre were inches thick in human fat um and that is just that just brings it home that, that you know how this craziness where it can lead, you know it, it's just um, I mean so so basically you know I, I we, well we often say that old thing that you know those who who basically ignore the lessons of the past or for that matter ignore the past completely are condemned to relive it 
And, you know, so it's it's just kind of get a grip. Look at what happened in the past. You know, things haven't changed that much. They haven't changed uh, at know, all. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's really, really disturbing, isn't it? Um, it it's bizarre, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just horrendous. But it's, it's you know, it it's it's there simmering under the surface. That's that's the thing. What do you think it motivates people to to have this unrealistic type of thinking in an age where where science and logic is supposed to prevail? And it is. It, it, it's this you know, accepting things without asking for the slightest bit of evidence. You know, are there people around that that kill and eat babies and children? Um, now, surely when someone hits you with something as big as that, you want to say, well, <laughs> where's the evidence? Yeah. It's usually, well, we don't have any because these people are so clever and so secret yeah. that they manage to suppress it. Yeah. So the fact that we don't have any evidence shows you yeah. that yeah. Must, yeah. it must be happening. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's the staggering thing. You know, I mean, not necessarily thinking scientifically. I think it's just like, Give me some evidence. Show me something. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of other things in the mix there because there's a whole kind of, you know, the mistrust of what people in authority tell us because they keep getting caught out, um, yeah. uh, at least spinning the truth, yeah. if not outright lying. Yeah. Um, so there is this whole kind of, for a lot of people, it is, it is really, I don't know what to think. I don't know... Yeah what sort of information is trustworthy so i don't know who to believe and straight up when you get in that state that's often the time when somebody can kind of step in and say with authority something completely crazy and a lot of those people in that confused state will, will buy into it it's like you you've completely lost the ability to um i would say think rationally mm -hmm. it's to um, uh, to, to, to think based on evidence because you don't trust anything you see on the TV or anything you read in the book. Yeah. And then somebody says, I'll make it simple for you. It's about this and that group. Um, if only we get rid of them, then you'll be fine. Also, and, I think there's, I, I realise this is somewhat controversial, but, uh, but the, I think there is a slight element of boredom because in the old days, you know, um, the, the, nothing was more exciting than when the witch finders came to your village, you know, or when the exorcist came to your village, um, that, you know, suddenly um, life was, you know, was exciting and thrilling. And you could go and see these terrible things happening to people in your village mm -hmm. square. And, you know, and that was, that was a spectacle, you know, that was, that was, that was worth, you know, standing, standing, waiting all night for, you yeah. know. And you could do it guilt free because those people, deserved it the yeah. priest told you yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah and and now you know you can be part of um this this huge excited mass of people who are all thinking along the same lines however crazy it might be to outsiders but you're part of this movement you know it's like an army you know and and how exciting is that <laughs> Still crazy. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. Want, oh, yeah. if, if you oh, want to, if I yeah. want excitement, I'll go for like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll before yeah. blaming yeah, people yeah, for yeah, eating yeah. children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least it's harmless. Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
it's it's just so bizarre, you know. And, and you know, like like I I would say if if there's been an evil that's been inflicted on humanity, it's been money. Yeah, yeah, you know, in banking. Yeah. Which I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I mean, I know banking did originate, I guess, with the Templars. I'm not 100 percent sure yeah. of that one, mm-hmm. but but I think maybe, you know, the they're, they're I think maybe their use of money was probably intentional. Their intentions were probably good, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at some point mm-hmm. it got corrupted. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as 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 it always does. Mm. Just quick on the Templar thing, yeah, but don't know invented banking but they were some of the first people in europe to start shifting large amounts of money around from place to place because mm-hmm. they had to get it to the holy land um you know as pilgrims move around they protected it they needed money there to pay people so you had to have this first sort of international mm-hmm. banking system mm-hmm. where you could have systems of credit and essentially the equivalent of a checkbook mm-hmm. um so yeah but I'm not going to. I don't think we should hold Templars responsible for <laughs> the behavior of banks today. Yeah, yeah. That that I I can't either. You know, like <laughs> I I understand. I I think their intentions were originally good, and yeah, yeah. and then somewhere things went wrong, and I don't know where. <laughs> I have no idea where or who. But <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, greed and ego. You know, I mean. So, most most of the European kings and queens, you know, that that just about sum them up: greed and ego, um, you know, and also entit- entitlement. You know, I mean, literally, they had a title, so they, mm. you know, they expected to be treated as certain, they expected to be rich, um, so so you know, and and they would um, levy taxes just to fill their own coffers or to wage a war that nobody else wanted, or you know, all of this stuff. Um, so I mean, basically, it's the elite, you know, mm-hmm. um, the elite. Wanting to remain the elite. <laughs> <laughs> so, so before we wrap this up, I have one more question. Mm. Um, throughout writing all these books and all this research, uh, what is the most surprising discovery that you've found? Oh, that's another big question because it goes, you know, it's so many over the year. The most surprising thing. Because we went through his whole thing. I mean, well, or you can throw a couple. It doesn't have to be one, you know. <laughs> yeah, there is. Well, for me, it's um, uncovering this the Johannite tradition, the the, the John the Baptist thing, and doing it by starting by looking at codes in the paintings yes. of Leonardo da Vinci. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. that's the thing that really evident fell into place when yeah. she did that, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Yeah, and that inspired somebody else. Yes, yeah, yes. I mean, I, yes. Um, I would go along with that the the whole John the Baptist thing is is jaw dropping. As I said, as I said before, not not just in you know the fact we've been able to unearth, but the sheer implication of it. You know, um, so yes, the literally the Templar revelation, um, and that is. I mean, even now it has you know the ability to just absolutely have our jaws on the ground just thinking about it. Hmm. I want to have to read up on John the Baptist. I'm not sure like how his teachings varied from Jesus. Like all I know is he baptized Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Well, the, yeah, the thing is, it's um, 
we're told so little about John the Baptist, yeah. and that's for a reason because of that rivalry. But you can tease stuff out from other sources, and it really does become a big. Um, yeah, it it changes the whole story of everything that was going on behind yeah. not just John but Jesus yeah. and Mary Magdalene and other figures. It adds yeah. a whole other dimension to that. Uh -huh. So and well, I mean, you know, a bit of a tease, but um, it's it's all laid out there in our book, The Masks of Christ. Actually, I have I do have one more question. Like I had heard this theory um, that Jesus and Judas were twin brothers. And Judas felt guilty for betraying Jesus and took Jesus's place on the cross. Do you think there's anything to that story? Uh, it, it's actually a nice idea. Yeah, it's plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't. It's one of those things. I'd like to see all the evidence for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Going, yeah I don't have any evidence for it. You know, because <laughs> well, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a nice idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the book Lynn mentioned the Mask of Christ. That's what, there were so many mysteries and questions yes. about Jesus. Yeah. That was our attempt to try and answer yeah. um, mm. most of them. Mm. Um, and but you know there were just there, there's so much mystery around that mm. whole story. Yeah, know, like, did what, he really, like what was he doing for like the first twenty seven years of his life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was he really born of a virgin? All this kind of thing. Yeah. So. Um, you know, so that was a another it was kind of a follow up to the Temple mm. Revelation, mm. just looking at the, mm. the 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 biblical part of mm. that, the, the New Testament part, yeah. the origins of Christianity, mm. um, and um, that, that was it was a kind of sequel to to the Temple Revelation, mm -hmm. the Master of Christ. Yeah, mm. and then we kind of did a prequel to that, <laughs> <laughs> which was our most recent book, actually called "When God Had a Wife." There's a title for you. Yeah, and then that's just. Dug back even further into history and yeah. you know the, the story it got there. So um, yeah, so we're still working on all this. We're still yeah. going. We on. never stop, really. You know, even though the, the the topics may have moved on, but we always return to these particular central ones. Yeah, yeah. And, and as we, you know, it, it's all going on all the time. And you know, if if I can put an advertisement in for our. Uh, uh, plug out our website so that people can see what we're up to. Which Absol is, absolutely. Where can our listeners find you? Right. It, it's yeah. It's www.picnetprints.com, all one word. Um, and the other thing that we're doing at the moment, we, we, we set up um, a while back uh, a Patreon system mm -hmm. yeah, account um, where we put put um, sort of information out there it essentially sort of updates to our book and books and ongoing research and and you know even like things correcting uh or enlarging upon stuff in our book uh which people can um subscribe to and support us that way for so, the price of a coffee a month basically yeah, yeah. price of a coffee or price of a pint of beer is the way i prefer to yeah okay <laughs> yeah but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, if any anyone's interested from our, you know has read our books and wants to know like our ongoing mm. story, um, you know, please uh, check us out on Patreon. And also, I I'm putting out my memoirs, which are called the Unchosen at Number Fifteen, um, in two uh, twice twice a month, two mm -hmm. two instalments a month. Again, um, for it's for su subscribers only on Patreon. Um, and that's uh, patreon.com forward slash Lynn Picknett, all one word. 
And our joint one is patreon.com forward slash picnic prince. Um, so we're very busy. Um, and, you know, we'd really like people to see what we're doing. Yeah. What I'll do is, is email me those links and I can include those okay. in the notes to this episode. Uh, so when, while yeah. people are listening yeah. to this, they can check you out. Yeah. I'm sure they will yeah, after great. hearing this. This was a very, very interesting interview. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, no, thanks for inviting us. Yeah. It's, 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 been, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah been this was, great. This was yeah. awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for being on today. Yeah, mm. no, thanks. It's a pleasure. We've covered a lot of ground. It? <laughs> yeah, we certainly have. <laughs> Big questions, huge questions. <laughs> so we've got, so got us thinking. Yeah, mm. yeah. My brain hurts. Oh, no, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make your brain hurt. <laughs> All right. So just hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro, and we'll wrap it up. Okay. Thanks very much, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.